So the way that justification plays out is we have this cooperation between God's grace and man's freedom where we respond in faith and action. Faith and works. You're not going to believe this. A guy actually broke into our home last night. And he was, yeah, he was looking just for money, I guess. So I got up and I looked with him. That joke is real, you guys. That joke is pretty real because of inflation. I'm feeling that. Anyways, great to be back with you. Episode 124. If you're just tuning in for the first time, someone did not break into my house. I start every episode with a really bad dad joke So, because I'm a dad and I can do that. But it's so great to be with you. If you're a new listener, returning listener, please make sure if you have not yet done so that you rate and review this podcast wherever you are listening. It helps other people find it. The best compliment you can pay this podcast is to share it with other people. And if you do that on social media, please do. And make sure you tag us at Mana Food for Thought on Instagram or on Twitter, Mana F, the number four, T. You can find all of our info on manafoodforthought.com, all of our content, previous episodes and blogs. And you can click on the Patreon tab when you're there to support this podcast financially for as little as $1 a month, and patrons get perks. And so thank you to all of our patrons for all that you are doing, all that you do to support this podcast. I'm so grateful for you. Uh, Before we get into this week's episode, let us do our joy, junk, and Jesus. My joy from this past week um, is really a series of things. Um, You know, we've had quite a few people over for dinner, just friends, reconnecting with people, um, I just had an opportunity to connect with different people with, uh, coaching meetings over the past week to speak, to do some ministry, uh, in different places I haven't before. And so and we had a barbecue for Hannah's preschool and things like that. So our RCIA started. So there's just been a lot of social opportunities and I, I feel like my joy is, it comes from those a lot, but it's not my default, you know, to be like, yeah, let's like do a bunch of stuff and break apart the routine and, be like crazy overwhelmed, you know, feeling. And and when you're there, it if you just kind of let yourself take a breath, it's not overwhelming. You really get to get out of the routine and the monotony and your comfort zone, meet new people and have good conversations. And so, I don't know, it just kind of reminded me of the value of saying yes to social time more often than I'm comfortable with, but less often that than would be irresponsible. Because obviously I have priorities to family, work and different things, but there's a lot of wiggle room there, I think, for most people. And even if you live, you've worked a full day and you've got a family and you've got, you know, uh, to cook dinner, you know, sometimes there is a benefit of just like, you know what, let's just buy double and invite someone over. You know, we're going to eat dinner here anyway. Let's just invite good conversation, you know, or um, I don't know, just, yeah, um, having the willingness to be more flexible, even when you're tired, when you don't think about it, scheduling it in advance helps, especially when you're not tired in that moment. So I'm just finding a lot of joy in those moments of connecting with people, Um, which leads into my junk. Um, Hannah started preschool today and that's not junky. I'm very proud of her and I'm, and she had a great time and um, she just looks so cute and was so excited, but I don't know. It just made me reflect on back to this idea of presence that like time has flown by so much with her. And I feel like I, I wish I had been even more present. I'm very lucky that I, you know, we don't, rely on daycare. We have family and I get to, I have a very flexible schedule. So is my wife, like we can schedule around each other very easily and we get to almost always be home, you know, with the kids. And if not, it's my in-laws. So, and that's a huge gift and I get to see them a lot and spend a lot of time with them. But still like today it was just like, wow, like 
it's just going to get more and more along those lines of like, wow, less and less one-on-one time and more time of you away, you know, with the coming years, you know. Um, I heard a statistic that said um, when a child graduates from high school, they have already um, had 95% on average of their in-person time with their parents. And that is just like terrifying to me. So, um, yeah, it just, I, in the ways that maybe I, I can be better at being present. Um, I really, yeah, um, need to do that. And there's just a reminder today and back to my joy, like, you know, in those moments when I do say yes to that with my family, with other people, there's always joy that comes from that, even when it feels overwhelming or busy or stressful in a season, really learning how to set those things aside. So anyway, I'm kind of getting into like making this sound like an episode and I'm just checking in, but, um, my Jesus moment, um, there have been a few moments this week where, you know, in the spirit of feeling sometimes I, this is a constant struggle of mine where I feel like I'm not present in conversations or with people, even though I'm trying desperately to be part of it is when we're out somewhere or at an event with our children. And I'm always like one eye on the kids, one eye on the conversation kind of thing. And I feel like I can't keep my thoughts straight. And other times it's just like I'm thinking about all the other things that need to get done or I'm too tired or, you know, feeling out of my comfort zone to want to like be social. And there were a few moments with this week where um, God really confirmed like I, I was present to people in the right way and I'm doing what I need to be doing and God is working in and through me and I'm where I'm supposed to be. Because when I feel like, oh, I'm not being present, then I can feel like, oh, I'm not doing what God wants me to do. I'm, I'm failing. And I think that's just what the devil wants. So obviously, so um, experience Jesus a lot in that. And then I keep meaning to mention this wonderful person. Um, but my friend, Michelle Tran, I wanted to give you a shout out. She's always sharing this stuff uh, on her story on Instagram and uh, our blogs, our podcasts. And it's such a gift. Thank you so much for doing that. It always brings me joy to see it. I'm so grateful for you. Um, yeah. So into the episode. So uh, this episode is a shout out to my friend, Kevin. Um, He asked if I had ever done an episode on um, kind of salvation and the different views of salvation between Catholics and Protestants. And I think we've mentioned it. I remember mentioning it in one particular episode, but I could not find it. And I know we've never, I think, devoted an entire episode to this because this is a very lofty topic. And to tell you the truth, I'm a little intimidated by it because there's a lot of terminology and different nuanced things in the theology that I really am trying to break down and dissect to the simplest terms possible, but also equip you to be able to have better conversations if you get into more theological or scripture-based conversations or potentially debates or arguments with people. Uh, Hopefully they're civil, uh, but who might disagree with you? And so there's going to be a lot of scripture citations and catechism stuff in the show notes for you to just kind of be able to look back on what are some things that Protestants might often quote and how to interpret those? What are some things that help us, um, you know, show that we have a way to interpret those validly uh, looking at scripture, but there's also other things in scripture that lean more toward the Catholic point of view. And fundamentally, what are those two different um, points of view? And so there's a lot of words that are used in this theology. Um, Salvation, obviously, is one of them. And that is the process by which we are saved and have the opportunity to uh, have eternal life, okay? We cannot do that on our own. Uh, because of sin, we are separated from God, and we are, no, we are not worthy of entering heaven by our own merit. We can't earn our way there. Um, 
Nothing unclean can enter heaven. Scripture says that in Revelation. But all fall short of the glory of God. Um, that is in Romans chapter 3. And so if the wages of sin is death, as it says in Romans chapter 6, then we have no other choice but to rely on someone outside of ourselves for our salvation. And that is why what Jesus did is so incredibly important and beautiful and why we need the salvation that Jesus offers to us. And so um, salvation, another word is justification, which you can probably interpret in a lot of the same way. Um, the idea of justification is really like, how are we able to enter heaven? Like what justifies us? Like what makes us worthy of being able to go to heaven? And so it's part of this process of being saved, you know, like, so when you talk about someone asks you, are you saved? You know, something like that. What is salvation? This initial point of justification happens, you know, like how are we justified? You have to kind of make that argument. And then there is, um, you know, other words that are used in combination with this, things like sanctification, righteousness. Um, and those things are really about, you know, again, are we worthy of, are we, you know, does the, the process of justification alone, does like that sanctify us and make us righteous or are other things also involved? And so the Catholic view, let's start with the Protestant view, okay? The Protestant view for most Protestants, is they believe in the doctrine of sola fide, which means faith alone. This was a doctrine of, of kind of the Protestant Reformation that Martin Luther started in 1517 and the years following. And before this, this was not a doctrine. It just wasn't something that was part of the doctrine of the church. And it was formally kind of combated in the Counter-Reformation in the Council of Trent, uh, which I think began in 1545. And uh, there was a document in the Council of Trent that was issued, um, and it's called, uh, what is it called? I wrote it down, but not in the right place. It is called the Decree Concerning Ju Justification. It's sometimes abbreviated DJ. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, but there's different sections of that. But if you read that, it's a pretty short document, and it tells you, like, the difference in, but it's in very theological terminology uh, between Catholics and Protestants and what they agree on what we agree on. And it pinpoints some different scriptures and areas of the catechism as well for cross-referencing. Okay. So, um, for Protestants, for the most part, this idea of sola fide is, um, it kind of aligns with, um, where's the scripture passage, something like Philippians chapter three, um, starting in verse seven. Um, Where do I want to start? Yeah. No, no, I don't want to read that. I'm going to read uh, Romans. Because if you're talking to a Protestant, they're probably going to quote Romans. Romans is a very beloved book in the Protestant world. It has a whole lot of this information in here. In fact, there's a whole section from chapters 6 through 8 that are all about justification. But it kind of is confirmed later in chapter 10 uh, when Paul says this. Uh, this is in verse 9, Romans 10, verse 9. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. For scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, the same Lord is Lord of all, enriching all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay? 
So this is a very common area of Scripture or, or of Romans. The Protestants will quote in saying, all you need to do is confess with your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. Because their concept is that there is just, the only thing that justifies us is what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so in you aren't we need to respond to that. And when we do, that is when that moment of justification happens for us. And we are, from that point forward, justified. Okay? They would argue, some of them would argue when this comes up, that when you are justified, it means that you are living a new life, kind of like in Ephesians chapter 4 where it says you need to put on the new self. And as a result of that, you have to act a certain way in the world and you will do good works, but they have no kind of bearing on your salvation. Now, the Catholic view is basically the same. However, it's this key point of justification, whereas Protestants will argue that this is one moment where you say, I've given my life to the Lord, profess that Jesus Christ is Lord, as scripture says, and you are saved. We believe that that is true, that initial justification can only be merited by what Jesus did on the cross. So let's see, how do I put this? Protestants believe that the completion of justification happens in that one moment. For Catholics, we see it as a process. That Jesus did save me in the past when he died on the cross for my sins. He is saving me now in my everyday life. And he began that moment of initial justification happened when he died for my cross, died for my sins on the cross back when he did. But there's an ongoing process happening today in my daily life. And then in the future, he will come again to save us, those who are found righteous, those who um, die in his love. And so we see the process of justification, not as being completely in one moment, but we would separate that between what we call initial justification and ongoing justification, or what you would maybe synonymously call the process of sanctification, becoming righteous, okay? So for us, and this is what it says in scripture too, I'll kind of break down why this passage in Romans, when it's quoted, is kind of being misquoted, and it's not being quoted in its proper context, is that we believe that, yes, you cannot be saved by anything other than the fact that Jesus died for your sins and that you do need to respond to that and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior in order to merit salvation. You cannot merit it on your own. Jesus merited it for you on the cross. But we believe that is the initial point of justification. And from that point forward, there is an ongoing justification that happens, meaning that once you respond, you need to act and live in such a way that when you die, you are going to be judged according to those actions. And if you say, yes, I profess Jesus Christ is Lord over my life, but you do not act in such a way that Jesus asked you to act in scripture, then you will not be saved. And part of the, the marking of that moment of justification is baptism. Okay, so whether or not a Protestant will believe that baptism is necessary in that initial moment, usually they, I think they will argue that um, that is kind of confirmed or maybe even conferred in the moment of baptism because it does directly say in scripture that you need to go and baptize and that bapti baptism is, you know, the source of salvation. We have that in, in the catechism as well, okay? Um, but the problem with this where it says, for whoever believes um, that Jesus is Lord in your heart and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
Um, and then it goes on in that passage from Romans I read, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, that contradicts what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, where he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father in heaven. Okay, so actions are required here. Our cooperation is required here. Okay, so that was Matthew 7, 21, and it goes on 21 to 23. Okay, so what then is a proper understanding of what Scripture is asking of us, what Jesus is asking of us in Scripture? Now, when we go back to this, uh, this doctrine of faith alone, sola fide, that phrase only appears once in all of Scripture, and it's in James chapter 2, verse 24. And it says, See how a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So the only place faith alone appears in the Bible is in a negative way, that you are not justified by faith alone. However, we have all these things like in the book of Romans that say all you need to do is profess that Jesus is Lord. So where do we find the, uh, the kind of resolution to this contradiction? Well, in this section of Romans, Paul has been arguing that righteousness, whether you're found righteous before God, whether you can earn salvation, it comes from faith. It doesn't come from the law and the old ways of Judaism, like getting circumcised and all these actions and sacrifices you would do. So what he's saying, he's speaking to Rome, which is a amalgamation of Jews and Greeks and Gentiles, sorry, Jews and Gentiles. And they all need to understand based on the Jewish history, you know, how do we justify where we come from? And then Gentiles need to understand how are we to be saved? Do we have to become Jewish first to be saved? Or can we just respond to this faith in Jesus? And so Paul is trying to tell them, look, you don't need to do any of that old Jewish stuff. You just need to have faith in Jesus. And that is where your salvation comes from. That is that initial justification. However, so many other places in scripture tell us that that is not all that matters once that moment of initial justification happens. You then have this ongoing process of sanctification where you have to do certain things or you will be judged. Um, like in the judgment of the nations in Matthew 25, where he says, you know, Jesus says, whatever you did for these least brothers of mine, you did for me. And they say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and not give you food or thirsty and not give you drink? And for those who didn't, he tells them, amen, amen, I say to you, what you did for one of these least ones of mine, you did not, what you did not do for them, sorry, for these least ones, you did not do for me. And these will go off to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So this concept of whether we are found righteous or not, whether we are found worthy or responding to that gift of salvation that Jesus won for us that we cannot earn on our own, that is going to be brought up at our judgment. Okay? So, Protestants will sometimes say like, oh, Catholics, you believe in works, so you think you can earn your way to heaven, and you do all these good works so you can get brownie points in heaven, you think that's going to save you. That is not what we believe. And they'll sometimes link it to purgatory and say like, oh, yeah, the church is just coming with another thing that you have to worry about before heaven, so you can do all these good works and pay all these penances and blah, 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 blah. And that is not has nothing to do with the doctrine of purgatory, has nothing to do with... Um, initial justification that Jesus, we only are saved by what Jesus did for us on the cross. We cannot earn it on our own. Okay. In fact, it says that in the catechism, it says that in paragraph 1992, it says justification has been merited for us by the passion of Christ who offered himself on the cross as a living victim, holy and pleasing to God and whose blood has become the instrument of atonement for the sins of all men. 
Justification is conferred in baptism, the sacrament of faith. It conforms us to the righteousness of God, who makes us inwardly just by the power of his mercy. Its purpose is the glory of God and of Christ and the gift of eternal life. However, it goes on in the next paragraph to say, justification establishes cooperation between God's grace and man's freedom. On man's part, it is expressed by the assent of faith to the word of God, which invites him to conversion, and in the cooperation of charity with the prompting of the Holy Spirit who proceeds and preserves his assent. So the way that justification plays out is we have this cooperation between God's grace and man's freedom where we respond in faith and action. Faith and works. That's why works are important is because it says all over scripture that you, if your faith does not have works, it is dead. This is James chapter 2, that same place where it says um, that faith alone is a negative thing. It's not by faith alone that a person is justified. Previous to that, it says uh, in 17, so also faith of itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Indeed, someone may say, you have faith and I have works. Demonstrate your faith to me without works and I will demonstrate my faith to you from my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that and tremble. Okay, So faith is not enough on its own when it is not lived out and when it is not a surrender of the will. And how do we show God we're surrendering our will in our works and the things that we choose to do and choose not to do? And so it continues uh, back to this verse in verse 24, see how a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in 26, for just as a body without a spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Okay. Protestants may come along and say, well, yeah, if you respond in faith and you have that initial justification, like you will be saved to do good works. It comes with the package, but it's just an improper understanding of the fact that we're going to be judged according to our works. And that these judgments are pronounced on people who have been deemed righteous. That these people are people who have been potentially baptized. They've been saved. They have questions about how are, how are we going to get to heaven? What do we live our, how do we live our lives? And the advice that they're being given by these letters that have now become scripture are that you need to do the things, the works, in order to become worthy of them. Okay? Um, Again, there will be other verses that they may come up. You have to look at it in context. Um, I'm thinking, um, let's see, Galatians chapter 5. Is this one that they often bring up? Um, you are separated from Christ, who you are trying to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. Through the Spirit, by faith, we await the hope of righteousness. Okay? So this is a, something that says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Okay, so Protestants might use this to say, look, look, it's only faith. We've been separated from Christ and we're trying to be justified by the law, by works. If we do that, we've fallen from grace. Again, this is a place in scripture where Paul is speaking to people who are asking about the old Jewish ways. That's why he brings up circumcision and uncircumcision. And he's saying that doesn't count for anything. Only faith in Jesus Christ matters now. So if you want to be part of this Christian family, you don't need to become Jewish first and do all the Jewish things. But the Jewish people did not believe that by doing these things, they were justified. They believed they were chosen by God. They were the chosen people. They were going to be saved because they were chosen. 
they believed more so probably in this kind of instant justification that Protestants tend toward. And so the way that it's coming out is like, look, you don't have to do any of that stuff. That stuff doesn't matter because what merits you salvation is that, yes, you have been chosen, but you've been chosen by God through what he did for you in Jesus Christ. However, when Jesus Christ taught, he told us in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will do these things. Or in John 15, where he says, it was not you who chose me, but I who chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit that will remain. Okay, so it's not just you have faith and you do nothing. Okay, it is because of our works and we are judged according to those. So whatever a Protestant might bring up in argument, argument to this, a scripture passage, if they say, oh, you Catholics believe in this or that, um, but we believe that, you know, faith, it's in faith alone. Just ask them where in the Bible is that? Because if it's in the Bible, I want to believe it too. Have them find it for you. And then read it in context and be able to say, well, Paul here, he doesn't seem like he's talking, you know, to us today. He's talking to these people who are asking about, do I have to become Jewish first? You know, read before the passage, read after it, get it in its context and recognize the only place where this phrase faith alone happens. And it even has that word justified in it is in James 2.24. Okay. There's a whole section of the catechism on justification. Again, it uses very theological language. I'm very much oversimplifying this because it can get very convoluted and nuanced, but I want to link to you in the resources to this episode, all of the different things that you can continue to read to be able to determine like the difference between these. And I can get much more, you know, into the details of this and the history of how these doctrines have evolved and been back and forth. Um, But essentially the difference is We agree with Protestants in that moment of initial justification that is only merited by what Jesus did for us on the cross. The difference is that Protestants think that's the end of the story with justification, but Catholics believe, based on what it says in James and other places in Scripture, that we are going to be judged according to our actions. And so our salvation and justification cannot be wholly dependent on what Jesus did for us. We are going to be judged according to our actions in response to what Jesus did for us. Okay, so it's not that we are doing good works to earn our way to heaven, but we recognize that the process of sanctification, becoming holy, becoming worthy in some way of what Jesus did for us, trying to respond to it in faith, means that we need to act differently. We need to put on the new self, and that means we need to do good works, not to give us brownie points in heaven, but because Jesus himself told us that in the end, we will be judged according to our works. And we cannot just simply say, Jesus, I have faith in you and then go do whatever I want and, you know, still be saved. You know, as it depends on the Protestant you talk to. Some Protestants believe that you can lose your salvation. Some don't. Um, Some would argue that if you lose your salvation, it means that you didn't really have it in the first place, that you didn't really make an accurate profession of faith to Jesus. Uh, And eventually you get into this convoluted explanation that basically makes Responding to Jesus in faith, very mystifying. Like, did I do it right? Um, You know, do I have to be perfect now? If I make a single mistake, have I lost my salvation? Um, That's the benefit and the beauty of being Catholic is that we have the traditions and the authority that Jesus gave the apostles that um, exists now in the sacraments that we have to forgive us, like in the sacrament of confession, uh, to reconcile us when we make mistakes, to help us with this ongoing process of sanctification. Okay. And this ongoing justification. Okay. So we cannot earn our way to heaven. We cannot. Okay. So nothing that we do makes us more worthy of heaven. Okay. 
This moment of initial justification is what Jesus did for us on the cross. So it's like we've been given a, a very big gift and responsibility. Okay. Um, imagine you're given a job that you have absolutely no qualifications for. Um, and it pays an, an incredible amount. It's incredibly abundant and generous that you've been given this job. You are not worthy of it. You did not earn it on your own. You have absolutely no experience whatsoever. And you're given this job. A Protestant would argue if this job is salvation, you know, that you're responding to this gift, that all you need to do is say yes and then just keep showing up and not knowing how to do your job. And maybe you learn, maybe you don't. But like you've said yes, you've responded, and that's all you need to do. You accept the offer. The Catholic would argue, based on what it is in Scripture, is that when you're offered this job, you are told, yes, I know you are not qualified for this. I'm giving this to you as a gift. But when this position is terminated or if this company, you know, at this particular end date or by this probationary period, which you might say is the end of our life, I expect you to have done your best to do this job and learn it. That's the difference, okay? So we're not saying, oh, I'm just going to try and convince you that I do have this experience and lie and, and that I did earn this job. No. But once we respond to this, we take on the responsibility of saying, this job comes with certain responsibilities that I now have to fulfill. And if I don't fulfill those responsibilities, I can be fired. I can lose this job. And maybe if I you know, commit myself to doing a better job, they'll rehire me. And Jesus will always rehire us. He'll always bring us back to himself when we repent. But this idea that you can just say, God, I want to respond and be saved, like it said in that passage of Romans, if you read it in context, that is not what Paul means when he's talking to the Romans. What he means is you don't have to do things in the old law. You don't have to get circumcised. You don't have to make sacrifices. You don't have to obey all of the dietary laws. What matters in terms of faith, what you believe is that you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, when it comes to your response to that after, read the entire rest of the New Testament in context and everything that Jesus offered, everything that he taught in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, there is very little of the teachings of Jesus that is stationary or immobile, meaning that like all of, most of it, if not all of it, requires us to act, to respond. And when people in these parables or in these teaching moments do not respond, there is a negative consequence usually associated with hell. And so it would seem, based on scripture, based on what Jesus says, based on his teaching, based on what the church teaches, that the process of justification is ongoing, that Jesus did save us on the cross. That is the point of initial justification. It would never have been possible for us to be saved or have eternal life without Jesus. But when we respond to that, we now take on the burden of this responsibility to live in such a way that we will be judged at the end of our life worthy or unworthy of this gift that we've responded to. Because we've said, I'm going to take on this responsibility of responding to this, of being a follower of Jesus. And that means total commitment, total commitment, total devotion to the Lord, total detachment to everything else. And if you don't believe me, read the gospel, um, not for this upcoming Sunday, but the next Sunday uh, in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 33 of the sayings on discipleship, or any of the areas in Scripture on the conditions of discipleship, like uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Matthew 16, 24, Mark 8, 834, uh, uh, John 12, 25, all of these different places where Jesus is telling us that, hey, if you want to follow me, if you want to save your life, you need to lose it. 
if you want to follow me, you need to take up your cross. Okay, you need to let go of your possessions. So many places in scripture where these things are mentioned. So I think I'm just kicking a dead horse at this point, but I hope that provides some kind of clarity that I know for the most part, you may not find yourself in these types of conversations. Uh, you might not be in these types of arguments. It is a very nuanced difference, but people who are very well-educated in Protestant denominations uh, might be very aggressive or attack Catholicism and make these claims that you think you can earn your salvation, link it to purgatory and all these things and say it's not scriptural. Um, turn it back on them and say, okay, tell me what you believe and where is that in the Bible? Where does it say faith alone in the Bible? And look at these passages and recognize there is a context to them. So even if it sounds like it, like that passage I read you in Romans, there is a greater context that also has to be put up against the verses that directly contradict that, like the one I read you in Matthew chapter 7 and all of the places where it says that we're going to be judged for how we responded to this gift of faith, how we responded to this gift of salvation. Okay, So that has to do with those other terms, sanctification, righteousness. Protestants will probably view all of those as pretty synonymous, that Justification comes from Jesus, and that's what sanctifies us and makes us righteous. Whereas we would say initial justification comes from what Jesus did for us on the cross. And then the ongoing process of justification requires a cooperation of our will and our actions. And that process is what sanctifies us and makes us righteous so that when we are judged, we will be judged worthy of heaven. So that is the difference. I hope that is helpful to you. If you have questions, if I was confusing, or if you're super high up and knowledgeable about this like soteriology and I said something wrong, let me know because I did try and simplify it as best I could and make things a little more synonymous or nuanced or easier to understand than some of the nuances are in the arguments. So uh, bear with me on that. But that is generally the difference, and it's not that big of a difference at all. And I think when Protestants hear that articulated well, they would probably not have a problem with it and probably agree. Um, yeah. So anyways, I hope that's beneficial to you. That's all I have for you this week. Until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. God bless.